Let me pray for his word real quick as well. Father in heaven, uh, I just pray that your Holy Spirit will move tonight, Lord, that my words be few and your words be many. May you speak, Lord. May it be none of me, Lord. Father in heaven, your word is precious, Lord. It changes lives, Lord. It gives people eternal life, Father, and eternal splendor where they will serve it with you through salvation in Jesus Christ. So, Father in heaven, may your word go out mightily tonight, Father. May we take it, Lord. And, Father, may it be a priority in our lives, not only to read it, Father, to be doers of the word as well, Lord. May we just apply this to our lives, Lord. May these people tonight leave behind all their burdens, Lord, and all their worries and all the things they've been thinking about because we do go through those things, Father, and it can be distracting. And it can be distracting for me as well, Lord. May we focus on your word tonight, Lord. Father in heaven, may it be lifted up high and may we apply it to our lives. It's precious to me, Lord. And I pray this in Lord Jesus Christ's name and God's people, amen. amen. So guys, uh, on your outline, so tonight we're gonna see Nebuchadnezzar. We're gonna go through Nebuchadnezzar's testimony, okay? In chapter three, uh, he put Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire, right? And who was in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? God, amen, Jesus, amen. So like all pastors say, and I say this all the time, you've heard Pastor Dave say, I'd rather be in the fire with Jesus than out of the fire. A lot of times I said, I'd rather be in a trial with Jesus than out of a trial without Jesus, amen? Because uh, when we persevere, that brings godly character, which brings hope, guys, amen? So it's coming out of that chapter, but now Nebuchadnezzar, who in the past has seemed to glorify God, even at the end of the chapter three, he seems to recognize God has done a miracle in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they come out of that fire. But then he goes, right back into his old ways of basically glorifying himself and just being a wicked king because he was a wicked king of Babylon. So what we're going to see tonight, though, he seems to have what I would call a coming to Jesus moment where he realizes that God is the one true God. And what's remarkable about this book here is you have this Gentile Babylonian king who seems to almost, I mean, Daniel's writing this, but it is his testimony to the people of all nations. And we'll read that in verse one. So point number one on your outline Verses one through two, a Christian must live a life of evangelism. Here's some of the things we're going to see. A Christian must live a life of evangelism. We need to tell our testimony, guys, of what God has done for us in our lives. Amen. Has he not done great things in your life? Has your life not been better with Jesus than without Jesus? I know mine has, amen? So I'm, I'm eager to tell people I'm excited about Christ. I always tell the youth group, be excited about Jesus. Be excited about his word. Why would we not? All the blessings I've had just today alone, guys, right? Yeah, I have a gimpy foot right now. I tore my Achilles, but you know what? I'm here with you guys tonight. I can see, I can speak, I can talk, amen? I can eat, I can drink. God has blessed me. He's overfilled my cup. And sometimes we forget that. We need to bring the church to the people and then bring the, the people to church because that's what church is for. It's to equip you guys, the saints, to go out and then evangelize the world, right? And build the kingdom of God along with the Holy Spirit and Jesus. Grace and salvation brings peace through Jesus Christ. We must desire for others to share in that same peace through Jesus Christ. If we have this peace through Jesus Christ, why would we not want everyone we know to have that same peace, that contentment and that trust in the Lord, right? Only Jesus can bring and peace only comes through Christ. Amen? Amen. Point number two, when we are too comfortable in this world is when we will resist being uncomfortable for Jesus. We must not be foolish and choose a kingdom that will not last over an everlasting kingdom, guys, okay? Don't choose the one that's not gonna last. This is all gonna fade away and it's all gonna burn. Choose the one that's everlasting. Your treasures, right, are where your heart is and that will never fade away. He is no fool who gives, you've heard Pastor Dave say this, it's a quote uh, from Jim Elliott, Beyond the Gates of Splendor. I love this quote. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. 
Point number three, God can choose to speak to us through a dream. He can, but you don't need to wait for a dream to hear from God, right? How do we hear from God? We read his word. We read the Bible, amen? When we are afraid, troubled, or in a spiritual trial, we should not ever seek the counsel of the ungodly, amen? And we do that a lot of times. Instead of seeking the counsel of God first through his word, through prayer, and then other Christians who are godly men and women. Always seek the counsel of God first and then God's people. Point number four, we must be lowly in spirit so the only place we can look is up to God. And we're gonna see Nebuchadnezzar do that. It was the only place he could look at the point he was at in his life. Matthew 5, 3 says this, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit, guys, is realizing we are spiritually bankrupt and we can do nothing good without Jesus, without the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Amen? We need that, guys. Point number five, sometimes we will be asked by God to confront others about their sin and guide them to repentance, always delivered in love. We must do it in love. We don't want to be a clinging symbol. We must have compassion for people and grace and mercy for people, even when they do us wrong. Um, bottom line is we're going to see Daniel do that tonight as he confronts the king. And he's going to do something amazing that you would never think Daniel would do after who Nebuchadnezzar is and his character. We, and uh, it's going to be a message of repentance. We're not to celebrate the destruction of the unbeliever, but pray and hope for the revelation of Jesus unto salvation. Amen? We should never celebrate that someone doesn't have Jesus or bad things happen to them because and maybe they're a bad person. No, we should be praying for them and loving on them and lead them to that salvation where they can turn and be in a right standing with God, no longer unrighteous, but righteous before the Father through Jesus Christ. Amen? Point number six, all good things come from God. Every good thing we have is because God, guys, has given it to us. Like I just said, everything I have, from me eating a couple minutes ago, to drinking, to being here with you guys, to the sound system, to the worship we just enjoyed, all good things come from God. We have to remember that. Whatever we have should be used for his glory. Think about yourself less and God more. Never touch God's glory. Glory is for God alone. Amen? Amen. So let's go ahead and read uh, verse one. Nebuchadnezzar, the king to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the most high God has worked for me. So Nebuchadnezzar, first he says, to all the peoples and all the nations and all the languages. Now, remember at this point in time, he's only speaking to Western Asia. Did he know it would go out to all the world from generation to generation? Here we are thousands of years later. No, he didn't know that. But is it true, the statement that he made? Has he not now through this chapter spoken in, to all languages, nations, right? We have the Bible in all these different languages in all these geographical areas. It's true. Why? Because God's word rocks, right? And it shall not fade away. It will endure to time. It is everlasting. Amen? So... When God showed Nebuchadnezzar who he was, Nebuchadnezzar thought it would be good to tell all people. He's like, God showed me who he is. Now I'm going to tell all people. Guys, we must have that same response when we realize who God is. We've experienced God in our life as Christians. Are we willing to tell all people about Jesus or just some? 
I want to encourage you, tell all people about Jesus. Sometimes it's easier. Have you ever noticed sometimes it's easier to share with an atheist than it is to share, let's say, with a Muslim or Jehovah Witness or a Mormon? Why do we do that? It's easier because they don't even believe in God. We know the atheist knows nothing about God or his word because he's not in it. But we know a Jehovah Witness knows something about God, right? Because obviously they're distorting who Christ is and it's heretical making God not, making Jesus not God, right? And we're going to stand up against that and we speak out against it. But sometimes it's, it's easier to just talk to an atheist. Guys, we should be talking to everyone about Christ, amen? Regardless of who you are. The next time the Mormon comes to the door, and I'll give you guys um, a little bit of a resource. If a Mormon comes to your door, invite him back. They will come back. They pretty much have to come back. Even if you're not prepared, say, hey, can you come back next week, like next Wednesday? Give yourself four or five days. Go to alwaysbeready.com. Those of you who take notes, alwaysbeready.com. That's Charlie Campbell's website. You can go on there, and whether you're witnessing and evangelizing to a Muslim, a Jehovah Witness, a Mormon, it'll tell you questions to ask, what scriptures to look at, amen? And I've invited them back, and they've come back, and then I've given them these questions from that website. And guys, here's the deal. If you fail horribly to witness to someone, you know what it means, right? We, we must be ready to give a reason for the hope that's in us, it says in 1 Peter, right? So guys, it's that we need to be in the word more. We need to be able to talk to people about God. So maybe we have to look at ourselves and go, are we in the word enough that I can defend my faith and I know what to say? So I wanna encourage you to get better at looking at the word, studying a little bit more, maybe spending more time in the word. It says this in 2 Timothy, for those of you who takes notes. 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And then I love this, and this is where we get uh, apologia, right? Being able to defend your faith and give a reason for the hope that's within you when someone asks you about your faith. 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts, honor Christ. And this is the ESV version because I, I kind of like the way it said it. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it in gentleness and respect. But guys, you know what the worst thing we could do when we have an opportunity to witness people? Nebuchadnezzar's here witnessing, he's evangelizing, is to say nothing. Have you guys ever done that? I've done that. Would you just say nothing? It could be because of your time or it could, you know, you're going somewhere and I get it. Or it could be that I just don't feel comfortable or maybe, you know, I don't know what to say and I'm, I'm afraid. Sometimes we get afraid. But here's the exhortation. If you don't know what to say, just tell them what God's done in your life as we're going to see Nebuchadnezzar do. Just tell them your testimony. Just tell them, hey, you know what? I'm a Christian. Before Christ, this is who I was and this is who I am now. Amen. We can all do that. And then we let the Holy Spirit take over. If you're afraid, the Holy Spirit's not, is he? The Holy Spirit is not afraid. He's ready. In fact, he's biting at the bit to say, for things that just pour out of your mouth. Amen. Have any of you guys ever witnessed to someone and then you walk away going, where did that come from? I, I can't believe I said it. I can't believe I remembered that scripture. Guys, let God do his work in your lives in evangelizing. Don't be afraid. Our testimonies, guys, are going to be um, drastically different. So I'll never forget this. My testimony is kind of radical, and I've shared some of it on the pulpit. Look, um, I, I was smoking weed by the time I was 11 years old. I was selling weed by the time I was 12. I was a drug addict uh, into my teens and into my early 20s, and I was a drug dealer, okay? And then God drastically changed my life, right? And I look back, me and Josh always talk about, I look back on these years, those years that I wasted. I, I wish I would have been a follower of Christ and known the Lord, but that was the route that I chose to be unrighteous. The bottom line is I remember I was at a men's uh, retreat 
And the guy who was sharing the hotel room with me, he grew up in a very elite family. He went to an elite college. He was well-educated, and he became a general physician, and he was a doctor. And we were sharing our testimonies there late at night, midnight. As you guys know, we end up staying up real late. And, we end up and that's why I love retreats, by the way, men's retreats, because we really get to know each other. You come back from that mountain, and then I know you. You know me, and it's just a great time of fellowship. But what he said to me is he goes, Doug, you have a radical testimony. I always wished I had a good testimony like that. And you know what I told him? I said, look, yeah, I might be able to sit down with someone who's been an ex-drug addict. I may be able to go and evangelize to someone who's been a drug dealer because I can relate to that and I've been there and I've done that and now I'm, I'm a reborn in Christ. But you know what I can't do? I can't sit down with another physician who's been to an elite school, who grew up in an elite family, who grew up really wealthy and tell them, oh, and I needed Jesus. They won't relate to me. Why won't they relate? Because that's not my life, but that's your life. And that's your testimony. They're going to listen to you, even though you had all these things. Why were you still empty? And why were you still searching? Right? So guys, whatever, whatever God's done in your life and what you've been through, remember, it's not about my testimony is more powerful than yours. Yours is a powerful testimony if you allow God to use it. Does that make sense? Well, no matter what you've been, someone's going to be able to relate. God's going to put people in your life that that testimony is specifically for them that they would never relate to me. They would never relate to Pastor Dave. They would never relate to Pastor Josh, amen, or Pastor Tim. So guys, be ready to evangelize. Share your testimony, inviting all people to church. Um, Nebuchadnezzar here is sharing his testimony. He's inviting people to church to listen. Interesting stats here, guys. 47% of unchurched people are open to attending a church. Whoa. All right. Shut that off. I'm not up here that much, so I'm learning. Yeah. <laughs> so 47% of unchurched people are open to attending church if they're invited by a friend. It's almost 50%. Might say yes if you just invited them. A Gallup poll said 70, this is great, 76% of churchgoers said sermons teaching scripture were the most important to them. Right? It's not about all the show and the lasers and the music and all these things that a lot of churches do to draw them in. 76% of people said they want to hear the Bible taught to them as it's written. Amen? And that's what we do here. And that's why we do it. 75% also wanted sermons that were relevant to their lives. So what does that mean? It means they want to read the word of God. They want the pastor to tell them what it means and then how to apply it to their lives, right? It's pretty simple. Observation, interpretation, application, and that's what we do here verse by verse, right? Amen. So guys, always stick to the main thing. Make the main thing the main thing and keep it the main thing, which is Jesus Christ crucified, risen again, and coming back. Amen? Always keep it that. So... I, we have a digital invite. I don't know if you guys know. As you guys can see, I'm a big digital guy with the whole announcements. On the website, if you go to invite, all you got to do is click on invite. There, I actually made it for your phones. You click on there, and there's a button that says download the invite. And I send it to a lot of people. Like, I'll be at a restaurant. I'll, just last week, we were at a restaurant, and I told the waiter, hey, I want to invite you to church, talk to him about the Lord. And they'll give you their phone number. It's, 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 it's really interesting. I go, hey, can I have your phone number? Women are a little, I mean, I'm kind of creepy with my mustache because I've, I've been at the grocery store and I was checking out and the woman cashier and I said, hey, do you mind if I get your phone number? And it's like, we were talking about the Lord. I'll send you the invite. And she's like, uh, and then she said, can you airdrop it to me? I said, yeah, but guys, it's there for you guys to hand out. And we do live in a digital world. So go to the website, invite, download it and start inviting people to church. So Nebuchadnezzar, here's who he was. He was a murderer. 
The man who destroyed Jerusalem murdered many Israelites, took the best of the young men that, that the Jews had to offer in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, and took them into captivity, okay? He cut wise men into pieces if they couldn't tell him his dream in chapter 2. Literally cut them into pieces. And Daniel's heart is amazing. He actually kind of stops it and says, hey, king, give me some time. I'll go ahead and interpret the dream and stop killing people. Amen? Because that was Daniel's heart, the difference between the two men. He burned people alive. In chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he's burning them alive and saying, turn up the furnace because it's not hot enough. Let's burn these guys, including their bones, that there's nothing left. This is Nebuchadnezzar. And the last thing I'll tell you this, and I remember when I told this to the youth group, they were like, whoa, Nebuchadnezzar killed King Zedekiah. Okay, but before he killed him, or excuse me, he took him into captivity. He killed Zedekiah's sons, but before he killed his sons, he made Zedekiah watch his sons being murdered, and then he plucked his eyes out. So the last thing Zedekiah would ever see was his children being murdered. That's this king. That's this king who's now giving his testimony and realizing who God is. Amen? This king now sounds like an apostle. If you look at verse one, what does he say? Peace be multiplied to you. Paul says to Timothy, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father in Jesus Christ our Lord. To Titus, Paul says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. Now I said he looks like an apostle. He's not an apostle. I don't want Dave coming back and you're like, hey, Doug told us Nebuchadnezzar was one of the apostles, amen? No, he wasn't, but he sounds like one, Amen. Peter says to the dispersed believers in 1 Peter 1, 2, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Exactly what he's saying here. The king is excited to tell all the people about the most high God. The madman is greeting people now in peace like an apostle because God's touched him. Nebuchadnezzar now has peace with God the Father. We will see in verse 34, he says this. So later in the chapter, and we're going to read it, he says, I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. And don't get me wrong, I don't know how Nebuchadnezzar's life ended. I don't. I don't read into the silence of the Bible. All I know is right here, he's glorifying God and praising God, and he's recognizing God for who he is. Will we see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven? We'll find out when we get there. I don't know. But there's a good chance, guys. There's a good chance. You know, the thief on the cross, there he was on the cross, right? And, and he said, this man's done nothing. Remember me today when you go into your kingdom, and Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Well, why do he say that? Because the man said, remember me. He believed who Jesus was. It's belief, Christ alone, amen? So maybe we'll see Nebuchadnezzar there. Peace with the Father can only come through Jesus, guys. Many have told me, oh, Doug, but I'm good with God. But that's not, that's not the case. That's not what brings salvation. Are you good with Jesus? right? That's a general revelation that there's God. We can look at the stars. We can look around us. We have a general revelation that I believe in God. It's kind of theology, but a special revelation is where we lead them to Jesus Christ because that's the God who saves through his father. Amen. No one can come to the father, but through who? Jesus. Amen. There's no wavering on that. Guys, and here's the thing. Jesus is our peace. It says this for those of you who take notes. Ephesians 2.14 
For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Believers, guys, we are united by one thing in common, and that is a belief in Jesus Christ. They will know us by the love we have one for another. Amen? This verse, Paul was accused by the Jews of bringing a Gentile uh, into the temple where they had the wall of separation, which separated Jews and Gentiles. Paul made it clear, though, to them that Jesus, clear that now because of Jesus, that wall is gone, guys. So whether we be of our lordship is in Jesus Christ. You guys realize it? Look around you. We're eternal beings. We're brothers and sisters in the Lord, heirs to a throne. We should love one another. We should greet one another. We should be happy to see one another. Amen. I'm so happy every time I see you. A lot of times you see the pastors, we stand at the back. So I'm so grateful to know you guys and to be with you on those Sundays and here tonight. And this lordship of Jesus Christ, what we have in common, right? If we have Jesus in common, we have everything in common, is greater than any racial differences, political differences, geographical differences, language differences, economical differences, guys. It's what unites us, and we must rest in that. Romans 14, 17 says this, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in what? The Holy Spirit. Amen. So now that we are at peace with God because of Jesus Christ, there's no more condemnation for us, right? The afterlife has been revealed to us through his son, and we should be filled with joy. So what comes first? You guys always hear what pastor says, right? First comes grace, because without grace, we can't have what? Can't have peace, right? It's grace first of what Jesus did on the cross. And through the Holy Spirit, we then have peace. Guys, walk in them, brothers and sisters. Walk in that peace, knowing God's in control, and we have peace through Jesus. If God can use Nebuchadnezzar's testimony like he's about to use it, do you think he can use yours? This guy was wicked and evil, but he's about to use it. So point number one, a Christian must live a life of evangelism. We need to tell our testimony of what God has done uh, for us to all people. We need to bring the church to the people, then bring the people to church. And that's from Ephesians where Paul said, uh, it's the church is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. You guys know that's what church is for, right? We're to equip you and then you go out and do the work of a ministry and give them Jesus and then invite them to church. Amen. Point number two, or actually, and then grace and salvation brings peace through Jesus Christ. We must desire to share, we must desire for others to share in that same peace, guys. We don't need to keep it to ourselves. The worst thing that could happen is we end up in heaven alone. Can you imagine, right? Or our loved ones aren't there, so... I encourage you, keep sharing. Those who don't come to church, who are in your family, who keep saying no, keep inviting them over and over and over again. Amen? And you don't have to do it rudely, but there's nothing wrong with inviting someone to church, sharing God with them. Point number two, when we are too comfortable in this world is when we will resist being uncomfortable for Jesus. We must not be foolish and choose a kingdom that will not last over an everlasting kingdom. So let's go ahead and read verse three. How great his signs, Nebuchadnezzar says, and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. Nebuchadnezzar is finally getting it that he's not the king of kings, that there is a king of kings, a true king, one that is most high. 
Sometime after chapter three, Nebuchadnezzar is sharing his experience with God and he wants to proclaim God's signs, his wonders that he's done for him. He realizes God is eternal and his kingdom is forever. And he says there in that verse, if you look at it, God has dominion, uh, which in Hebrew is shotan. It means sovereignty. So what he's saying is God is sovereign and in total control. I thought I was, but I'm not. Amen? And that's something we have to realize and rest in that. Nebuchadnezzar had been foolish. He chose a kingdom that would not last over the everlasting kingdom. And may we never do that, guys. May we focus, have that eternal perspective, focusing on the people of God. Two greatest commandments. When they asked Jesus, what did he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love people. Amen. He sounds like a changed man, a converted man, a believer. So what changed Nebuchadnezzar? Well, we'll find out in the following verses. He tells us his story. Uh, verse four, Nebuchadnezzar was at rest. I, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. So the king has everything he needs. But the problem was not that he had what he needed, but that he had everything he wanted, Okay. Because really all we need is Christ and the clothes on our back, right? And food in our mouth. That's what the Bible says. But he had everything he wanted. Here's who Nebuchadnezzar was. He was a commander of the most powerful army. He was a commander before he became the king under his father. He was the son of a king. He rose to power and became king under his father. He was worshiped by many. He was educated and an intellectual, right? Babylon had the greatest, uh, you could say university, the university of Babylon that they sent the young Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel to to learn. He was revered and feared by nations. He was infamous. He was known as the king of Babylon, this great power. He ruled the greatest kingdom on earth at that time. He lived in a palace surrounded by gold and servants, and he was completely rich, and they would see to every need that he had. Not every need, everything he wanted. He said, I was at rest in my house there in that verse and flourishing in my palace. He didn't have any concerns about his life. Everything was going great. As Christians, guys, we should never be so comfortable in the world that we are so at rest with what the world has to offer us. We shouldn't be, right? And the world offers a lot. It can tell us, right? It tells us, oh, this is all you need. We see commercials every day. I, I like the ones where you see, and it's like a cheeseburger with bacon and a shake. And this is what you, Dr. Brendan can relate to this. They're constantly saying, this is all you need. This is what you want. This is what you need. Commercial after commercial, whether it be retirement, whether it be 401k, whether it be the stock market, whether it be a new car, whether it be a new house, right? No, what I need is Jesus Christ, food in my stomach and clothes on my back. And I'm content, amen? So that way, whatever happens to me in my life, my dreams are not mine. My dreams are Christ's dreams that he wants for me in ministry. Amen, guys? So bottom line, and that's why you see in the world what the world has to offer never fulfills, fulfills that God-shaped hole that people have in their hearts. Many people seem to have everything uh, in their lives, right? Movie stars, musicians, athletes, and so on. And we see them. It seems like they have everything. In fact, a lot of times we covet it. We go, I wish I had that. And then maybe I'd be happy. You see all the power, riches, success on earth can't answer the questions. And it couldn't answer it for Nebuchadnezzar. The question every human being has in their heart. And here's what they are. The five things. Where did I come from? What is the purpose of my life? Is there truly right from wrong, a universal law? Is there justice for those who break this universal moral law? Will I live on? And if so, can I live forever? And can it be in peace, right? And what does God tell us? No more weeping, right? No more sorrow, no more suffering. Yeah, it can be. 
So what is, so if we look at it, God answered all those things, right? He answered them 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ on the cross, the only man who ever answered everything that a man longs for in his heart. He answered those things. Where did I come from, Lord? In the beginning, God created what? The heavens and the earth, and he created man in what? In his image. That's where you came from. What is the purpose of my life? To bring God glory. It says in Isaiah 43, 7, everyone who is called by my name, who I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him God. God made us for his glory. To have a personal relationship with him. Anytime we substitute our own glory for God's glory, we miss the meaning of life. Because if our meaning of life is to glorify God, but we replace it with our glory, we're missing the meaning of life. What it is. Is there truly right from wrong a universal moral law? Well, yeah, God says, my word doesn't go by what a culture decides is right or wrong. doesn't go by what a government decides right or wrong or a nation, right? Because there's things in other nations that we would say that's completely evil and wicked. Why would they pass a law like that, right? There's just no way. But they think it's completely right and moral. Many people in Germany with Hitler thought what they were doing was right, but we know it's wrong, right? Why? Because God's word is universal. It goes all the way around the world. Is there justice for those who break this universal law? We know that who's the judge of all man's words and actions? Jesus one day. He'll judge it. And why is he going to judge it? It's a good thing because he's a perfect God and he's a perfect judge. Amen? Is there, is the, uh, will I live on? And I already said, yeah, God answered that. Only one man answered all those things we long for in our heart and it was Jesus Christ. Amen? Are you glad to know Jesus Christ, those of you who do know him? And if you came tonight and you don't know him, don't leave without Jesus. Amen? Amen. So also, when we are too comfortable in this world, we will resist being uncomfortable for Jesus. How about our workplace, guys, right? And I've been guilty of this. Everyone is, right? Um, maybe we don't share Jesus with our boss, right? Why? Because he can make life hard for us, right? Or we might even be, lose our job, right? But at the same time, if we don't stand for something, we'll fall for anything. Uh, I don't want to be uncomfortable between me and my boss. Another one might be um, a teacher, for those of you younger, maybe in college, Right? Well, I want to get a good grade on this paper, but if I challenge my teacher and share Jesus with him, he might take it out on me personally because I'm a Christian and he's an atheist, right, guys? So what do we do? We don't want to be uncomfortable for Christ. We want to be comfortable in the world. Don't want to share Jesus with our neighbors. Why? Because I see my neighbor every day, right? And it's going to be kind of awkward and uncomfortable uh, sharing with him. Or maybe, and this has happened, maybe it's something where there's a, a friend of yours, has a vacation house, right? And you love water skiing and he always invites you up to the lake, right? But if I share Jesus with him and I know he doesn't believe, maybe it's gonna create some friction between us and I won't get invited to the lake house next year, right? Whatever it may be, guys, remember our purpose is to share Jesus with people. So be uncomfortable for Christ and don't get too comfortable in the world. So years ago, I think I've told you this story before and a lot of pastors, our stories are the same because of our life experiences, me and Ashley, when our kids were little, um, they, the, we'd see the other parents on Facebook and they'd go out to the movies and go out to dinner and things like that, but they would never invite us. Now, I know some of you are thinking it's because of you, Doug. They like Ashley, it's just you and that mustache, right? But, and hey, look, it may have been, I don't know, you know, I put my foot in my mouth all the time, forgive me, you know? But at the same time, we would share God with them all the time. Do you think they wanted to be around with that? We'd just see all these couples, they'd just go out. They were all unbelievers and they would have fun and we'd see their kids playing, but they wouldn't invite us. And then our kids, I felt bad because our kids were like, hey, all my friends are out there. How come we didn't get invited? Well, you know, maybe we should have stopped sharing Jesus and we would have been invited. I really think we would have had we not talked to them about the Lord all the time. 
So guys, don't ever be that uncomfortable. So point number two, when we are too comfortable in this world is when we will resist being uncomfortable for Jesus. We must not be foolish and choose a kingdom that will not last over an everlasting one. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot gain. Uh, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose, Jim Elliott. Point number three, guys, God can choose to speak to us through a dream, but you don't need you don't need to wait for a dream to hear from God. Uh, when we are afraid, troubled, just read his word. And when we are afraid and troubled and in a spiritual trial, we should not seek to the counsel of the ungodly. Always seek the counsel of God first. And that's what we're going to see Nebuchadnezzar do. So let's read verses uh, five, uh, five through seven. So Nebuchadnezzar says, I saw a dream which made me afraid and the thoughts of my bed and my visions in my head troubled me. Therefore, I issued a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers came in, and I told them the dream, but they did not make known to me its interpretation. So in verse 5, the very first thing Nebuchadnezzar does, he has this nightmare. And I got to tell you something, for Nebuchadnezzar to be scared by a dream, this guy, this king, this wicked man, Man, it had to be something major that really freaked him out, right? This kind of uh, personality and character. So here's one of the things too, like I don't remember any, I don't know about you guys, but I don't remember anything from my dreams. Like my wife, like I can literally wake up from this really long nightmare or dream and my wife will go, well, what happened? I go, I have no idea. I don't know. I just got to go get some water, right? And the bottom line though, my wife remembers every single thing about their dream. I mean, all the way to like what someone's wearing, what someone said, where they were. And I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this. You know, it's true. When my wife, she'll tell me like, you know, you were in my dream last night and um, I saw you uh, hanging out with that girl at the party and you were talking to her and it looked like you were going to hold her hand and she's mad at me, right? And I'm like, dude, it was a dream. And she goes, I'm still mad at you. You still did it in the dream. You guys may have experienced that before. But um, God does speak through pe to people through dreams, right? In chapter one, God spoke to Daniel and his friends in visions and dreams. God spoke to Joseph through dreams that he would rule over his brothers. God spoke to Abimelech in a dream to stop him from sleeping with Abraham's wife. God spoke to Jacob in a dream in Jacob's ladder. So this is what's interesting about dreams. Interviews with 750 Muslims who had converted to evangelical Christianity. Many of them, you may have heard this before, many of the reasons these Muslims gave for their conversion would be expected. The love of God. They saw the love of God and it changed their view of the Bible. Where did they see the love of God? They saw the love of God through us. The love we have one for another. The love of the church. And the attraction to Christians who loved others. Isn't that big? So guys, think about that when we're interacting with one another. So important, John 13, 35, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. That's a big verse, guys, a life verse right there. But one reason might come as a surprise to why these Muslims were conver converted. The experience of a dream they believed to be from God. So these Muslims had dreams that they believed were sent to them, given to them from God. Mission Frontiers magazine has reported that out of 600 Muslim converts, 25% experienced a dream that led to their conversion. I believe God still speaks to us uh, through dreams today. Uh, we should not be waiting, though, to hear from God through a dream, guys. We should hear from God every day by praying to him and reading his Bible. Reading his Bible, guys, every day. You want to hear from God? Read your Bible. Amen? Amen? 
guys still with me? Some believe they hear from God all the time in their dreams. I had a family member, uh, one of my siblings was always like, oh, God told me this. I had a dream. I mean, constantly with the dreams, never opened her Bible once. So almost everything that she would tell me about the dream wasn't even accurate. But she was really into dreams and kept telling me God was speaking to her, but never read her Bible. They spend more time dreaming about who God is than reading who God is in his own words. So may we never spend more time dreaming about who we think God is. May we know who God is in his own words. Amen? So this type of behavior can be dangerous. You got to be careful. Uh, We hear from God. It has to line up. As you always hear pastors say, it has to line up with scripture. So guys, what isn't from God? What isn't from God? God told me in a dream, it's okay to marry the girl that I'm in love with, even though she's not a believer. Well, no. Second Corinthians says, do not be unequally yoked together, right? With an unbeliever. For what fellowship has righteousness with uh, lawlessness? And what communion does light have with darkness? Amen. God told me in a dream, it's okay to get a divorce. I'm just unhappy in my marriage. No, that's not from God, right? Not a dream from God. Uh, Mark uh, chapter 10, 8 says this, and the two shall become one flesh. So then let what God has joined together, let not man separate. Therefore what God is, so no, I didn't come from God. Don't leave your wife for that. There's only two reasons. I'm not going to get into two reasons that divorce is, is awarded from God. But no, we don't leave our wives, okay? God told me in a dream, I don't have to go to church. No, do not forsake the assembly of yourselves together, right? God told us that. That's why we kept having church when all the pastors met during covid We were going to obey God's word over what man wanted us to do. Again, be careful. Anytime we hear from God, it's better to line it up with his word. But if we don't know his word, we won't know which dreams are from God or what is from God and what's not, guys. Amen? So Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and now he needs the interpretation from a godly man. In verse 6 through 7, you see Nebuchadnezzar becomes afraid. The first thing he does, what's the first thing he does when we read these verses? He calls the wise men, the astrologers, the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans were the ones who pointed out Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they wouldn't bow to his idol and said, look, look, the Israelites are not bowing. And then that's when he threw them into the fire. So do you think he should listen to the Chaldeans? Probably not, okay? Probably not a good idea. But yet he calls them in first. The Chaldeans were just numbskulls is basically how I look at them. In chapter three, Nebuchadnezzar said, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who sent his angels and delivered his servants who trusted in him. Amen, right? So he had seen them delivered from the fire, but yet calls in the same guys to give him counsel who wanted him to throw those people in the fire. Nebuchadnezzar seeks the answers from everyone but God's messenger. We do the same sometimes, guys. We're afraid of the outcome of a trial, or maybe we're even in sin. We'll try everything first before we turn to God or to God's messengers. I had a brother years ago um, who I would call all the time and he didn't return my call for 12 months. And I kept calling. I'd call about once a month, just check in on him, just tell him, hey, bro, I love you, miss you. Give me a call when you get a chance. Finally, after a year, he called me back and I said, bro, and I just said, man, it's great to hear from you, bro. How you been? How's the kids? How's the family? And he goes, he goes, well, bro, I go, yeah, you never returned my call. You know what he told me? He said, Doug, I didn't want to talk to you because, bro, I had backslidden. I was living in sin. And I knew you would ask me how I was doing spiritually and you'd bring up Jesus. And I did not want to face that. So I avoided your calls for a year. And I said, okay. And I said, well, that's fine, brother. But how are you now? He said, bro, I'm back on track. I've been going to church. And he goes, is it, it's like that, bro? Like, you're not mad? I said, why would I be mad, bro? 
like the prodigal son. I'm just celebrating your home, brother. Amen. You know, how's the family? How's the kids? You know, love, guys. We have to love one another. So Philippians 4, 6 says this, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made, to known, made known to God. We need to go to God first for counsel. Always God first in prayer, right? James 5, 13, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. But Nebuchadnezzar went to the council of the ungodly. And what did they offer him? They're gonna offer him nothing. They couldn't, they couldn't help him. Big surprise that they couldn't tell him anything about the interpretation of his dream. And I don't believe that they could not tell him something about his dream. I believe they didn't want to, okay? And that's why they just say, oh, king, live forever, right? Because this dream that Daniel's about to tell him, he's gonna tell him a hard truth that's gonna make this king, that would make any king mad. So they were men pleasers. So point number three, God can choose to speak through us Speak to us, guys, in a dream, but you don't need to wait for a dream to hear from God. Just read your Bible. Amen? When we are afraid, troubled, or in a spiritual trial, we should never seek the counsel of the ungodly. We should seek God's counsel and godly people's counsel. Always seek the counsel of God first and then God's people. Point number four we're going to look at right here in the next verses. We must be lowly in spirit, so the only place we can look is up to God. Matthew 5, 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit is realizing we are spiritually bankrupt without Jesus, without salvation and the Holy Spirit to help us through life and to help us uh, into the kingdom of God. Okay, um, like Jesus said, I'm gonna send you a helper, amen? Lord help. Sometimes that's my prayer, by the way. Pastor Dave calls it a holy rocket. Lord help. It's funny, I had this sister in the Lord um, years ago and uh, her husband used to tell me, man, she stands at the, at the kitchen sink and she washes dishes and then she'll go, Lord, send your help. Lord, send your help. He goes, yeah, she's always praying then. I said, well, praise God. Maybe she needs the Lord's help. Amen. That's the first one we should go to. So Daniel, uh, let's see verse eight. Let's read eight through nine. But at last, Daniel came before me. His name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God. In him, the spirit of the holy God. And, to, and I told the dream before him, saying, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you and no secret troubles you, troubles you explain to me the visions of my dream that I have seen and its interpretation. So we see this great ruler now acknowledging the God of the Jews as the true and only God. Nebuchadnezzar says, look at verse eight, uh, Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, because Belteshazzar was his Babylonian name, which was in worship of the pagan god, Bel. Nebuchadnezzar had his god, Bel. Daniel had in him the holy God, okay? Nebuchadnezzar acknowledges the one true God that lives in Daniel. Daniel's God is, Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel's God is in Nebuchadnezzar's life, right? He realized it. He saw his God, Daniel's God, pull, pull them out of the fire, right? But he's not the God of Nebuchadnezzar's life, right? So guys, just don't have a life where God's in your life. Is he the Lord of your life? Amen? And he wasn't for Nebuchadnezzar. It's also a problem that all rulers have. They do not speak publicly, boldly about the real problem of their nations, including our rulers in this nation. And here's the problem. Romans 1.21 Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God, even give him thanks. And I love that. They wouldn't even give him thanks. How thankful is our nation to God for all that he's done? 
And they began to think of foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds and their hearts became dark and confused. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Many of you know that verse. Romans 1 tells us the real problem with our country. Guys, it's not redefining marriage. It's not racism. It's not social justice. It's not financial systems. It's not affirmative action. It's not social security. It's not medical for all. It's not immigration policies, more taxation, or pro-choice. The problem is, is we're not thankful to God and recognize him as the true God, just like Nebuchadnezzar is not recognizing God as the true God. Am I right? Like I said, if we have Christ in common, we have everything in common. And that supersedes all those things that our government's trying to fix that they'll never fix. And in Romans 1.28, it says, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do the things which are not proper. And that's what we're doing right now in this nation and around the world. And because they do not acknowledge and honor God, God gives them over to wickedness. Exactly what's happening in our society. As you see buildings burning down, as you see people stealing things, they just close like a bunch of CVSs up north because people can walk in and steal anything and there's no consequences. So they stole everything in the CVSs and now CVS closed down 22 stores. So what that means is those kids, those parents aren't gonna be able to go get diapers for their kids at night. They're not gonna be able to fill medical prescriptions, right? There are consequences when we do wickedness and our nation seems to be embracing it, right? They'll call evil good and what? Good evil. Romans 1.18 says this, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all, all godlessness and wickedness of people. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Nebuchadnezzar knew God from Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but he didn't glorify him as the one and only God. He still had Bel in his life. Amen. You can only serve one master, guys. Choose today who you will serve. For me, it's Jesus Christ. And I hope it's the same for you. I want to encourage you in that. Romans 1.32, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only to do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. And we see that throughout our government, right? Not only is wickedness going on, but the other people who may not be participating on are still passing laws and celebrating with the people who want wickedness. One of our leaders in recent years said this. I want to see if you guys can guess who this is. I'm going to read a, a, a statement he said. We know that our nation is stronger, our future is brighter, and our joy is greater when we turn to God and ask him to shed his grace on our lives. In America, we don't punish prayer. We don't tear down crosses. We don't ban symbols of faith. We don't muzzle preachers. We don't muzzle pastors. In America, we celebrate faith. We cherish religion. We lift our voices in prayer and we raise our sights to the glory of God. Do you know who said that? Any guesses? I think someone say Trump. It was Donald Trump. Donald Trump said that. I think it was one of his State of the Union speeches, if I believe. But where Donald Trump fell short, guys, is where Nebuchadnezzar falls short. His humility, he had none. He had no humility, Okay. The same sin that Nebuchadnezzar is struggling with, and it's the same sin we all struggle with. Humility, right? Being prideful of the things we've accomplished and the things we do. Proverbs 16, 18 says this, pride goes before destruction and what? A haughty spirit before a fall. Did Trump fall? Yeah. I believe if Trump just had an ounce of humility, he could have easily won that election. I mean, he was, he was saying that he brought back college football. I'm like, really? 
right? Are you kidding me? Like you're taking credit for that? I mean, everything was, look at how great I am. Look, I, 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 what I have done. You know what the other candidate had? I mean, look, I didn't vote for him, but you know what the bottom line is? He had some humility. He didn't speak like that. Trump was very prideful. Donald Trump was not poor in spirit, guys, okay? James 4, 6 says this, God resists the proud but gives grace to who? The humble, okay? So here's a story of Donald Trump just to kind of show you how he wasn't humble. They asked him in an interview, do you ask God for forgiveness? And he said, well, I don't really need to ask God for forgiveness. I just realize what I do is wrong and then I just fix it. He said that. So here's this man who said all these amazing things about God, but then didn't show any humility. When they asked him about communion, right? Because a lot of people ask, oh, was he a Christian? I don't know. That's for God to decide. For me, he didn't show the fruits of a Christian. Although I agreed with a lot of his ideology and his worldview. On communion, they asked him, he said, well, I have the little wine and I have the little cracker and I eat it and I guess it's a sign of forgiveness, right? But these guys, right, we have reverence for God. That's not what communion is. That's the blood that was shed on the cross and us realizing that it represents that in our memory, right? That that's what Jesus did for us. So guys, Nebuchadnezzar has the same problem. He's prideful. Now in verse 8 through 9, even though Nebuchadnezzar doesn't worship Daniel's God, he does acknowledge that God is holy. It means he knows about God, but it's not the Lord of his life. Look at verse 9. He says, the spirit of the holy God is in you, Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar saw the good and marvelous things that Yahweh did in Daniel's life, and, but he still had no interest having God do the same things in his life. It reminds me, I remember when I was younger and I became a Christian and I started to change my life, right? I started, God started to help me make things right and to stand before God in righteousness rather than unrighteousness. And it, right, my heart changed like probably all of yours who have come to Christ. And I'll never forget, my dad said, man, this, this Christian thing is really good for you, son. It's really, I said, dad, you want to come to church with me? He goes, oh, no, I'm good. Right, that's Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel, this is great for you. The living God lives in you and does miracles. Well, Nebuchadnezzar, you want that? I said, no, I'm good. I'm good. I've seen the miracles. I've seen the kids come out of the fire, but I'm good, right? It reminds me of that. So let's read verses 10 through 18. We'll take a big chunk here. There were the visions of my head while on my bed. I was looking and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong. Its height reached the heavens and it could be seen to the ends of all the earth. It le its leaves were lovely, its fruits abundant and in it was food for all. The beast of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heavens dwelt in its branches and all flesh was fed from it. I saw the visions in my head while on my bed and there was a watcher a holy one coming down from heaven. He cried aloud and said thus, chop down the tree and cut off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beast get out from under it and the birds from its branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump and the roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let him graze with the beast on the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from that of a man. Let him be given the heart of a beast and let seven times pass over him. This decision is by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones in 
order that the living, I love this, in order that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men. Give it to whomever he will and sets over it in the lowest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belteshazzar, Daniel, declare its interpretation to me since all the wise men of the kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able for the spirit of the, where here it is again, for the spirit of the holy God lives in you. All right, so he's acknowledging God. It's clear. Now, I'm going to say it's clear, so I'm not, I'm not foretelling. I'm not a prophet or anything, but I'm foretelling. I, we, we're going to read. Uh, it's going, Daniel's going to go ahead and interpret the dream. So if you read ahead, you would know what the dream meant. So I'm going to kind of break it down. We find out in verses 13 through 14, um, was a holy one watching this tree, and the holy one didn't like what it saw. The holy orders... The holy watcher orders that the tree be chopped down. In verse 15 through 16, we find out that the tree is a man, it says there. In verse 15, it says, and let him graze with the beast. Verse 16 says, let his heart be changed from that of a man. So this is talking about a man and Nebuchadnezzar. There are watchers watching us, guys, and that's what he's talking about, the watchers, the angelic beings from heaven. Angels do look into the things that we do. We read in 1 Peter, those of you who take notes, 1 Peter 1.12, to them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven sent from heaven things which angels, what? Desire to look into, okay? Luke 15, 10, likewise I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So when they see a sinner comes to church, right? Gives his life to the Lord, they're celebrating in heaven. So they are looking on us. The angelic beings, don't get me wrong. That's not people who die because we're not angels, right? We're made in the image of God. So, we are not angels. And the most important, the Father and the Son are always watching us. Amen. And I would always tell my kids that, you know, and I think that's one of the beautiful things about Christianity and acknowledging God for who he is, that even when I'm not around, there's God is watching over them and they know God's watching what they do. So what they do in secret is being seen. And I think that gives them the reason to make sure they're standing in righteousness before God. Why is the man chopped down and made like an animal? Well, verse 17 says this, in order that the living, what? May know that the most high rules in the kingdom of God. That's why he chopped him down. You see, we, we, you see a man must be made low where the only place he can look is up, right? So Nebuchadnezzar will be chopped down. He's going to walk on all fours. So the only place he can look is up. The first of the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 3 says this, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. And this is the New Living Translation because I love the way it said it. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So we went to a children's ministry conference years ago and there was a park ministry and they were teaching you how to go out to the park, do puppet shows, paint faces for the kids and evangelize um, and do an outreach at the park. And it was pretty sad. One, these, this guy, and he was great. He was like 70 years old, still serving in children's ministry. Praise God, amen. God bless that brother. 70 years old, still serving in children's ministry because he loved the kids. And he said, Doug, the saddest thing is, is when we go out to the parks, he goes, we'll get hundreds. Uh, he goes, sometimes we'll get 50 to 100 parents and kids come to a park in a poor neighborhood and they'll do the face painting. They'll hear the word of God. They'll sit down for the worship. When we go to affluent neighborhoods where people are really wealthy, no one comes right? Because they don't see the need for God. And, that, and that, 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 you know, it hit me right here in my heart. Mark 10, 23 says this, then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for those who have riches to enter into the kingdom of God? Guys, wealth is not bad. Is wealth bad? 
No, of course not. Every good thing comes from God, right? But should we use our wealth, right, to bless God's people? Should we use our wealth to spread the gospel? Amen. We should, guys. Um, and use it to glorify God. Proverbs 38, for those of you who take note, Proverbs 38 says this, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you, God, who is, and I might ask, who is the Lord? And if I am poor, I may steal and thus insult your holy name, right? So don't give me so much, God, that I forget about you, but don't give me so little that I have to steal to eat, right? And, and, and then misrepresent you and defame your name. That's what he's saying there. So you've heard it said, right? You can learn the hard way. We, we tell our kids that sometimes. You can learn the hard way by making that mistake yourself, right? Or you can learn from others' mistakes, right? The mistakes of others. So Daniel tells us, why this will happen to the king. In verse 17, he says that the living can know the most high rules in the kingdom of God. So point number four, so he's saying, hey, look, learn from Nebuchadnezzar. That let's not get to the point where we're so prideful that God needs to, to break us down, right? Point number four, we must be lowly in spirit so the only place we can look is up. Blessed are the poor in spirit for there's the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit is realizing we are spiritually bankrupt without salvation and the Holy Spirit to help us. Point number five, sometimes we will be asked by God to confront others about their sin and guide them to repentance, always delivered in love. We're not to celebrate the destruction of the unbeliever, but pray and hope for the revelation of Jesus unto salvation. We're going to take a big chunk here. We're going to read 19 through 27. <clears throat> And those where Daniel's going to interpret it. Then Daniel, who na whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for a time, and his thoughts troubled him. Now, get, get this. So he's troubled by this. He says, so the king spoke and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. Belteshazzar, Belteshazzar answered and said, my lord, May the dream concern those who hate you, and its interpretation concern your enemies. The tree that you saw, which grew to became strong, whose height reached the heavens and which could be seen by all the earth, whose leaves were lovely and its fruit abundant, in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and in those branches the birds of the heaven had their home. It is you, Nebuchadnezzar, O king. You have grown and become strong, for your greatness has grown and reaches the heavens, and your dominion to the end of the earth. And inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave its stump and its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let him graze with the beasts of the field till seven times passes over him. This is the interpretation, O king. This is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord, you, Nebuchadnezzar, the king. They shall drive you, Nebuchadnezzar, from men. Your dwelling shall be in the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall, meet, they shall wet you with the dew of heaven and seven times shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men. There it is again. And gives it to whomever he chooses. And inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump and the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you come to know that heaven rules. I love that. Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable, acceptable to you. Break off your sins. Now he's telling him to repent. Break off your sins, king, and by being righteous and your iniquities, by showing mercy to the poor. Because remember, Nebuchadnezzar never used his wealth for anyone but himself. 
He built this huge statue, the size of the Statue of Liberty, and said, get down on your knees and worship it, and look at how great I am. Showing mercy to the poor, perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. This dream troubled Daniel, and I love this. Look at what he says. My Lord, may the dream concern those who hate you. May it be your enemies, and its interpretation concern them, not you. So how can Daniel say this about a king? Because he had agape love. This was the king that murdered people. This was the king that threw his friends into the fire. This was the king that, li- that, I mean, that made him want to eat. He was trying to force him to eat the meat, remember, and drink of the king's wine and all the stuff he had done to him. But he still had compassion for the king. He still had mercy on the king. He still cared for him, which is amazing to me. It's agape love. How can you love a man like that? How can you care for a man like that? Daniel hopes that the man be cut down is not Nebuchadnezzar. The man who made him a slave destroyed Jerusalem, tried to burn his friends alive. Daniel shows grace for Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel delivers the truth even though it must be hard. O king, you will be driven out of your kingdom. Lose your mind. Eat grass like a goat in the field for seven years. Daniel again was faithful to step into confrontation on behalf of God. You see this over and over, a man with no compromise who will step into confrontation over and over for God. One of the amazing things about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, after they get out of the fire, Nebuchadnezzar promotes them to a higher position, right? Darius, after later in chapter six, Daniel will get out of the lion's den and he will promote him as well. And and then Nebuchadnezzar promotes Daniel. It's like every time we go through a trial or tribulation, or at least Daniel and his friends in this book, Something good comes out of it and something better. I don't want you to miss that. Um, But Daniel delivers the message from God in love for the king. Guys, sometimes we will be asked by God to confront others with their sin. Confrontation can either be harmful or it can be helpful. Harmful confrontation is when it's motivated by our pride, by our greed, our fleshly desire. It is used in a way to belittle someone or condemn them or take revenge on someone else. Daniel wasn't trying to take revenge on the king. showing him grace and mercy. Helpful confrontation is what Daniel did when we do it because we love that person. We don't want to see them because memory tells him, repent, man, repent, and maybe God will lengthen your days because we don't want to see that person in opposition to God. But to have a right and closer relationship, a right, a righteous relationship with God and a closer relationship to God. Jesus confronted the Pharisees on their legalism. Paul confronted Peter when he learned that Peter was behaving hypocritically towards Gentile believers in Galatians 2.11. Nathan confronts David, if you remember, about Bathsheba and his sin. I was asked years ago uh, by a really close friend of mine, and this was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do, and you do, obviously pastors, this happens to us regularly, and I'm a newer pastor, but I remember years ago, a friend of mine's wife called me and said, hey, you need to confront my husband on his sin. And I had to take him out to dinner and confront him. Hardest thing I ever had to do. But I did it in love because I didn't want to turn away from confrontation because I wanted to deliver God's message because I believed it was right and he was in sin. And also I wanted to do it out of love because I wanted him to turn from his sin. Amen? Sometimes, guys, we're going to have to do hard things. It says this in Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is what? Profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, guys. When God gives us something to do to deliver the truth in love to one of our brothers who's a believer who's in sin, we have to do it right? But in verse uh, 23 through 27, Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar, the tree will be chopped down to its stump, but its roots will remain, right? So what he's saying is the kingdom will remain. You're going to go through this trial, 
but God's going to have mercy on you. And in verse 26, after seven years, Daniel says, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you come to know that heaven rules. Is God in control? Can God chop us down? But let's not wait for God to chop us down. Let's be obedient now, amen? Daniel's call to repentance in verse 27, he goes, therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your days in prosperity. Daniel must have loved Nebuchadnezzar that he actually says, um, I already went through that, that he, he didn't want it to be the king. But he's calling him to repentance. And sometimes we have to do that with brothers and sisters in the Lord. But we do it in love and we do it biblically. Amen? Um, Ezekiel 3.18 says, when I say to you that the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Yet if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness, nor from the wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you shall have delivered your soul. So Daniel was not just examining Nebuchadnezzar's life, but he was making a faithful declaration of God's message of repentance. And that's what Ezekiel's saying, that when we're given a message for someone, a message of repentance, we have to deliver it. Otherwise, we're not doing God's will in our life. We're actually going in opposition to God. And that's what he means. Then their blood will be on your hands because I gave you something to do, but you didn't follow my commandment. Now, believers to fellow believers, it says this in Galatians 6, 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself less, you also be tempted, right? Because if God gives us something to do to confront a brother or a sister in their sin, because we want them to get into a right relationship with God, but then we don't do it, now we're in sin because we're not doing what God has asked us to do biblically, in that situation, guys. So point number five, sometimes we will be asked by God to confront others about their sin and guide them to repentance. Always delivered in love, remember. We're not to celebrate the destruction of an unbeliever, but pray and hope for the revelation of Jesus Christ and the salvation, which was what Daniel's heart was. Point number six and last point, all good things come from God. Every good thing we have is because God has given it to us. Whatever we have should be used for his glory. Think about yourself less and God more. Never touch God's glory. God, uh, glory is for God alone. So let's read, close it up, 28 through 33. All this came upon the king, Nebuchadnezzar, at the end of the 12 months. He was walking about. Now, so here he is, Daniel warned him, told him to repent. He's walking in his palace in Babylon. The king spoke saying, is, not the great, is this not great Babylon that I have built for a world, royal dwelling place by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it has been spoken. The kingdom has departed from you and they shall drive you from men and your dwelling shall be the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen and seven times shall pass over you until you know that the most high rules in the kingdom kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses that that very hour the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar he was driven from men and ate grass like an oxen his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like the birds like birds claws so the first thing we see is God is long suffering he gives him 12 months to repent he showed his mercy he said hey repent like he did with Pharaoh right in the plagues repent 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 do this, for, let my people go. 
but Nebuchadnezzar doesn't listen. And Nebuchadnezzar still gives himself all the glory in verse 30. The king spoke saying, is this not the great? I, I, I have built. Look what I have done. My, my, my power and my majesty. That's why I said earlier with Trump, isn't that kind of similar to what he did? I, 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 look what I, I, I have done. Amen. God had showed Nebuchadnezzar signs, miracles, one after another, sent a prophet, a messenger from God to warn him to repent, but it still wasn't enough. All good things come from God that God has given to us. Whatever we have achieved and built in our lives, it should be for his glory and should be, and should be used to bring God glory. Never touch God's glory. Amen? It's for God alone. Let's read verse 34 through 37. And at the end of that time, Nebuchadnezzar, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed, here now he's praising God, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven. I love that. And among the inhabitants of the earth, no one can restrain his hands or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me. Nebuchadnezzar, the crazy man, came back to him. And for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom and excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all of whose works are truth and his ways are justice. And those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. Nebuchadnezzar was brought on his hands and knees, literally brought low, but his understanding returned to him when he did what? It says there in verse 34, when he said, I lifted my eyes to heaven. Amen. Only when we look up to God, guys, in humility and not realize it's all because of our doing, that all glory goes to him, that we recognize he's our Lord and we have understanding and then we gain wisdom into the things of God. Amen? Then in verse 36, he says, after acknowledge God for who God really is, most high and eternal, Nebuchadnezzar says, I was restored to my kingdom and excellent majesty was added to me. So God even gave him more. He says it was even added to me after I realized who God was. And then in verse 37, Nebuchadnezzar says he praises and extol and honor the king of heaven, all of whose works are truth, he says. Jesus Christ is the only way, right? The life and the truth of our Lord Jesus Christ and his ways, justice. And those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. Extol in Hebrew is room to exalt with praises and celebrate. So you could read that verse, verse 37 like this. I, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, praise and celebrate and honor the kingdom of heaven. C.S. Lewis said this, I'll finish with this. If the worship team wants to come up. C.S. Lewis said this, God is not proud he will have us even though we have shown that we prefer everything else but him. God is not proud that he has shown us that he allows us to worship everything but him but still loves us, right? Zach Poonin said this, sin came through the pride of Lucifer and salvation came through the humility of Jesus. Pride came through Lucifer, guys, but Humility came through Christ and he set that example for us. Be humble. Tim Keller said this, the essence of the gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. You know, 
Are we on our mind all the time? I remember Pastor Dave always says, are we always thinking about us? Are you guys thinking about each other? Are we thinking about ministering and blessing those around us, guys? I titled this message, The Most High Rules in the Kingdom of Men, because he does. And I'm so glad he does. God is so good. So like Nebuchadnezzar, as long as you're alive, it's never too late to choose Christ and believe. Nebuchadnezzar was in his, the end of his years. So it's never too late. So let's go ahead and bow our head in prayer. Father in heaven, we come before you, Lord, and we thank you, Father, for this story, this testimony of Nebuchadnezzar that gives us an example, Lord, of how we should tell all the people of earth about your son, that we should never want anyone to perish, for you desire for no one to perish, Lord, but you choose to use us, Father, in your divine message, in the delivery of it as holy vessels, Lord. And if you came here tonight, and everything's been about you, and you came here tonight, and you don't want to be chopped down, and you want to know this God who gave Nebuchadnezzar even more after he realized who he was, and you know that there's something inside of you, like we said earlier, that will never fill that God-shaped hole. It's Jesus Christ. We were made to worship the Lord. We were made to bring him glory. Is there anyone here tonight who wants the Holy Spirit to come and dwell inside of them, who wants to believe in their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead? Is there anyone here who wants to give their life to the Lord? Who wants to? I see you, brother. Amen. Praise God. Is there anyone else? Don't wait. You might not have tomorrow. I see you, brother. Amen. Say this prayer with me. Holy Spirit will dwell inside you. He will change your life. He will make everything better because he is good and all good things come from him. So let's pray this together. Father in heaven, in my heart, I realize that Jesus is Lord and he is God. And I acknowledge that and I believe in that. And I believe that the Father raised him from the dead. Say that with me, those of you who raised your hand. And Father, I want the Holy Spirit to come dwell inside of me. I want to be born again. I want the old man to die. All the things, Father, that have kept me from you all these years, I want them to go away. And I want the Holy Spirit to change me. And Father in heaven, I want to become a righteous man and stand before you righteous. I accept what Jesus did on the cross, that he died for my sins. And I believe now I am forgiven because of that blood on the cross. And my sin as far as east is from the west. And now I will move forward in my life walking in righteousness, serving you, Lord, loving you, and building a relationship with you, coming to know you. And I ask this in Lord Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So if you said that prayer tonight,